Ten seconds, Super. Kiss my heart, I want you to hold it between your knees. There's never a cop around when you need one. You got a little pretty mail thingy. Well, do you, Bunk? I'm gonna nail you for picking your feet for Pepsi. This cat chef is a bad mother. Shut your Welcome to Vintage Video's 12 Days of Christmas, where as a special treat this year, we'll be reviewing all of our Patreon poll options for December of 1973, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 50th anniversary of the release of Fantastic Planet on December 1st, 1973. It was written by Roland Topor and Rene Leloup, based on a novel by Pierre Perrault, directed by Leloup, and released by Argos Films. In 1957, dentist Pierre Perrault saw his science fiction novel, Ohms en Serie, or Ohms by the Dozen, published under the pseudonym Stéphane Wool. Director René Leloup met art director Roland Topor seven years later, and four years after that they began collaborating on an adaptation of the story, retitled On the Planet Yam, or however you pronounce this, Yagam, Y-G-A-M, on its way to Fantastic Planet though the direct translation seems more likely to be the savage or possibly wild planet from La Planète Sauvage. The French subtitles translate it to wild. At the time, France did not have a studio available to animate the project, and they relocated to, at the time, Czechoslovakia. Unfortunately, the production was paused by the Soviet invasion of the region, and animation eventually resumed in Paris, and the end was rushed a bit for financial reasons, but it released in time to win the Grand Prix at the 73 Cannes Film Festival. Supposedly, there were around 10 more minutes of planned animation, and as a result, the ending seems to wrap up unexpectedly quickly. The animation was done OG South Park style, with drawings literally cut out of paper and stop-motion animated. Are you... Are you really going to call that South Park style? Yeah, they originated it. And then back in 1973, they stepped out of a time machine. Yeah, but I mean, there's a whole... Th- okay. I know. Okay. I'm going to talk about some other people that do I'm it. I'm just saying, there's a whole history of animation here. We're yeah. talking like limited animation, Hanna-Barbera, even all the way to back to like Lot Renninger and, you know, other cutout animations from yeah. the region. But it, it was popularized okay. by South Park. I'm right. just kidding. No. You, that's not that's I not wouldn't... True. Yeah. Okay. It's also similar to the animations of American Python Terry Gilliam, though I discussed recently with Ian Graham on his Cult Connections podcast that Gilliam's work seems specifically inspired by the works of Carol Zeman. When it landed a distribution deal in the U.S., it became the first animated film to earn a PG rating. But I think that was pretty early on in the ratings system because I think we mentioned in our review of Oliver that it was the first G-rated Best Picture winner because it was new that they were awarding things ratings like that and that was 68 that came out over the opening credits we hear the chirps and whistles of wildlife and we start picture with a young mother running through a forest with a baby held tightly to her chest at the top of a dirt hill she finds her path blocked by an enormous blue hand that repeatedly flicks her down the hillside she tries running the other way and her path is soon blocked by large seeds being placed in front of her and she changes direction again eventually the same blue hand lifts her 20 feet off the ground and then drops her She looks up at the face of her confused baby and then dies. We zoom way out to show the enormous blue creatures who have been toying with her. We will come to know these as drags, and they appear to be children who are disappointed that one of the small animals they were playing with has stopped moving. Master Sin arrives to the area, and the young drags run away, fearing they'll be in trouble. Another young drag named Tiwa 
is walking with Sin and notices the dead mother. Tiwa plans to take care of the orphaned Om, which is what they call humans. It's also the French word for man. The Om will be named Ter, and his adult voice is suddenly here narrating the film. He explains the Master Sin is the Grandmaster of the Drags and saved Ter's life by allowing Tiwa to adopt him. At home, we see Tiwa's mother kneeling on a circular cushion and staring into a floating red bubble in which she sees herself reflected. Tiwa wanders in to show off the baby Om she's found, and Father admonishes her for interrupting Mother's meditation. Father and Tiwa place Tara in a machine and flip a switch to apply a collar, which tightens firmly around the baby's neck. The machine also generates a bracelet that Tiwa can use as a magnet to pull the baby toward her whenever it might get away so she doesn't lose track of it. The baby is obviously terrified, but Tiwa keeps flipping the switch to drag the baby across the floor until Father reminds her how fragile Ohms are. Here is where Tiwa chooses the name Ter. Later, we see Mother and Father in profile meditating, and their eyes turn red as their images materialize in a pair of red bubbles. The bubbles float up into the sky through the open roof of the house. The bubbles join a swarm of identical bubbles in the sky, presumably from other drag homes, all simultaneously meditating. We cut to a business meeting about a local housing development. I guess you could call it drag housing. <laughs> it seems as though the machines used in their construction are showing unusually accelerated signs of wear and tear. A scientist also explains to an amphitheater full of drags that the ohms they have collected from Terra have been reported to show unexpected levels of intelligence, but the scientist thinks that assessment requires more research. So it looks like the way their government works is they have a small room of representatives discussing things who are being broadcast on screens outside the room mm -hmm. for a larger audience to be keeping track of what's going on in their government. And I think we gather that this is one of many of these like amphitheaters of of and probably many planets yeah, yeah so there's like m multiple locations of these so they are one of 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 a hive sort of of many units yeah. yeah the scientist cites as evidence films collected on the ohm homeworld that depict an advanced civilization but the accompanying slideshow is scarecrows broken brick walls unfinished railroad tracks and toppled buildings hardly our best work show them breaking bad <laughs> It seems as though that, that this must be like post-apocalyptic future, that mm -hmm. this stuff has deteriorated and they've resorted to like a, a Paleolithic sort of yeah. you know, time it, It's period. like Adventure Time era yeah. where you just see like little hints and remnants of the past world. Uh, I also like that uh, for the photos... They're just hand-drawn sketches. Right, that it seems like they just went to the planet and drew them on paper. Yeah. The drags seem impressed nonetheless. Some, at the central meeting, blame the setbacks in their construction on a number of wild ohms that have infested the location. The drags have utilized several methods of extermination, but ohms are highly adaptable and have learned to survive and escape what has been tried thus far. I think it also talked about how they, they breed like crazy. Yes, they have much shorter lifespans, and so they're able to multiply much faster. Yeah, so I gathered that to mean that the dregs are because of their size you know time basically yeah. stretches longer for them yep back in Tiwa's home we see Ter dressed in a circusy outfit and trained to do tricks like walking on a big ball in exchange for food pellets Tiwa swaps Ter's outfit for a helmet with a large ring attached and the angry infant bites Tiwa's thumb hard enough to draw blue blood Ter runs and hides under some furniture and watches a group of four adults meditating or possibly meditating. I'm not sure what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like phasing in and out of existence. Yeah. 
Black tentacles reach out to them from the sides and ceiling of the room, and the four drags are slowly blended across the torso into each other, into a single amorphous blob, and then their bodies sort of wither and disappear and then reform and grow back. Well, we and... find out later what they're doing when they meditate. Right. But the meditating, I think, is just the bubble thing. I don't think what's happening here is meditation. Oh, see, I figured that they were related. It's possible. I, it's it's never really spelled out. So I, I've heard people compare this to if a dog watched us watch television and you're like, what is that person doing? I don't understand. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing happen. We're like, sure. oh, this is totally normal to them. But to this animal, this lesser being, we have no comprehension of what they're doing to each other. Tiwa grabs Tear and gets in trouble for interrupting again. This time, Father blames the Ohm. Later, Tiwa places Tear on her vanity as she applies makeup, and Tear swaps out some of her makeup products while she isn't paying attention. Tiwa accidentally smears a black smudge on one cheek and then blows the rest of it in Tear's face, causing him to cough and probably get black lung or something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We cut to Tear, presumably attempting to run away, and Tiwa chases him around the house with a miniature rain cloud, drenching the child, and occasionally striking him with tiny lightning bolts. This is like terrible, terrible torture, but I'm guessing this is supposed to represent like a shock collar on a dog. Tear appears to be tennis now, and we cut to a language lesson where Tiwa teaches Tear to say, Tear loves Tiwa. Tear M Tiva. When Tiwa goes to sleep, her body coils like a snake. Tear's narration comes back to inform us that Tiwa attends school through a headset, which transmits information directly into her brain. The information is permanent. We hear a snippet of a lesson and learn that this planet is called Yam or Yagam. It's part of a binary planet system orbited only by another uninhabited planet called the Wild Planet. Unless this is a moon, and they're just calling it a planet. Mm. But they only ever refer to it as a planet. So it's possible they have decided that this moon is actually a very small planet. Yeah. I don't know what the rules would be for that. Terror is able to absorb bits of these lessons just from proximity. One morning, a new season begins on planet Yam, where crystals form at the base of the plants and homes in Tiwa's village. Tiwa lets Terror walk outside and just watches until a crystal forms around the Ohm's legs and traps him in place. The crystals rise up his whole body and he panics until Tiwa whistles and the crystals all shatter off of him. Tear wanders around the area and whistles to shatter all the crystals he finds. Sometime later, Tiwa and Tear are roped into a group of kids who are forcing their ohms to fight against one another. First, we see two female ohms with their hair tied together until the battle is broken up. Tear is placed in the circle and another ohm makes many threatening gestures and sounds which the drags interpret as beautiful singing but Tear interprets as annoying as fuck, and he strangles <laughs> the man to the ground until Tiwa pulls him away, and they're like, wow, that one was really rude. It's like, these other two were trying to kill each other also. Yeah, yeah. We cut away to Tiwa's parents inhaling smoke from a plume rising through the middle of the house. Tear takes advantage of the distraction by activating Tiwa's educational headpiece, and her parents find it amusing how attached he is to it. After some time, Dad doesn't think it's cute, and forbids Tiwa from holding him during lessons. When Tiwa finally reaches the age of meditation, She's marched down the road with all the other kids her age, and they enter a large building from which more bubbles soon rise out of the roof. When Tiwa returns home, Tear is nowhere to be found. Even her educational headpiece is missing. And we cut to Tear dragging it through the wilderness, over and under all sorts of obstacles. Tiwa's mother suggests she activate her bracelet at maximum power to bring him back, 
but Tiwa worries it could hurt him. We cut back to Ter as the bracelet is flipped on and he's dragged toward the house, but the headpiece snags on some underbrush. A wild ohm approaches from the wilderness and snips off Ter's necklace and lets it loose back to Tiwa. She also wears a necklace, but it's fake, so that Drag don't recognize her as a wild ohm out here. She's frightened when the headpiece speaks, but Ter assures her it is harmless, and even useful. She offers to lead him somewhere safe. We see a weird elephant blobfish thing in a cage, and then a small alien bird lands on its trunk. He shakes it to death and then splatters it on the floor just as Ter and the female Ohm drag the headpiece by. But I love that it's just doing this for fun. I, yeah. I love all the creatures that we come across throughout this entire film. Yeah. It reminds me of a book that I had when I was a kid. It was the um, uh, the ice cream cone coot. Oh, I don't know that did, one. Did you guys have that one? Mm-mm. Uh, I'm just going to show you. So, like, they had, like, it's a, it's a whole book full of like birds made out of like other objects oh and interesting it's just, it's just very much like the art from this film uh i had this book uh from like the late 70s early 80s about the universe yeah and you know it's got like stuff about the planets and all that but it does it gets into like these really crazy like 70s style uh artist interpretations of what alien life might be oh yeah like i think i might have seen something like planets. that where and they're it, like the jupiterians or like these squat fat creatures yeah yeah, so yeah. Crazy. uh there's like like these like saturn has like these like jelly squid things that float in the atmosphere and stuff like that it's all these really cool drawings that's great mm-hmm. it, it just reminded me of this too also uh i don't know if i showed you guys that short scavengers it just got turned into a series on HBO. Oh, you did mention that part. I don't remember if we watched the original. Yeah, like the original short like came out like maybe like six or seven years ago uh, on Cartoon Network. Um, but totally reminds me of this too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just like that kind of like Mobius style artwork. And- yeah, there's definitely connections to Matal Herlan from this. A large four-legged creature passes over them, but dragging a long tongue on the ground. It never touches them with it, though I think we're supposed to be worried that's going to happen. The woman leads Terror back to a wild ohm settlement in a tree in an abandoned park. The wild ohms make fun of the outfit that Terror escaped wearing, and everyone laughs. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. One ohm laughs so hard that he repeatedly bashes a club against a fleshy rectangular prism, and Terror tries to warn him it's a trap, but he does not heed the warning, and the prism awakens and swallows the man whole before sinking away into the dirt. It kind of reminds me of the weird boxes that they describe in At the Mountains of Madness. But I think in that one, they're like hexagonal prisms or something like that. Mm. They're like kind of barrel-shaped, but Mm. they have like mouths on either end that they seem dormant all the time, and then suddenly they just like, they're left alone with someone, and they come back, and the thing, the person is gone, and the thing is still there. It's like a mimic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Another Guillermo del Toro thing, right? Oh, Unless yeah. you're not talking about no, I wasn't mimic. talking about that. I was I was talking about like you know the Pokemon treasure chests that eat you. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Because yeah, Guillermo del Toro for a long time was attached to the At the Mountains of Madness mm-hmm. feature film, and I guess Sony kept like doing the same thing they're doing to Gendy Tartakovsky on his uh, Samurai Jack movie, where they're like, just do this other thing first, and then he's like, okay, fine, I'm going to go to a different studio because you're driving me crazy. <laughs> The man in charge here is a wizard, or he calls himself one, and he doesn't <laughs> trust Tear because he brought the headset of knowledge. The Ohms inform the wizard that Tear recognized a trap and he can tell what is in all the other cases they've collected because he can read drag markings. He tells them the next case has colored powder, probably makeup, and they confirm his prediction. Though he didn't specify that it's like heat-seeking powder that will yeah. chase you around and choke you. <laughs> 
A cloud of red powder chases the man who opened the case until he falls to the floor. In the middle of the night, Terror sleeps in the center of the headset on the floor, and he hears something outside. When he peeks out, he sees a line of ohms visiting the wizard who holds a blanket full of glowing stones, and he gifts one to each ohm as they pass him. After collecting the stone, they all glow in the night. The woman who led Terror here strips nude, and all the other ohm follow her example. They run naked into the distance. Sometime later, a collection of ohms are learning from the headset together when the wizard sends a henchman to knock the headset to the ground, interrupting the lesson. He insists that all drag knowledge is inherently evil. As punishment, they must fight each other with tiny dinosaurs strapped to their chests. <laughs> it's like the Beat It music video, but yeah, with yeah. dinosaurs. The creatures bark back and forth until one gets a good chomp into Tear's shoulder, and then Tear fights back, and his creature tears the other dude's throat out. The fight is over, and the wizard stabs Tear's dinosaur through the head to welcome him to the Big Tree Society. I feel like a lot of people are upset by when when Tear's dinosaur thing mm-hmm. chomps on the other guy, as if this isn't an expected result. Yeah, right. that's, that's his only option to survive here. The next day, Tear is stripped nude and left in a field with a bunch of creatures that barf pink foam all over him. The foam recedes, and suddenly the creatures are weaving a toga around him. A circle of girls dance and laugh around him, and then lead him back to the tree in his new outfit. Later, we see a field of wormy tendrils awoken by rain as ohms cross a plane over them. They are planning a mission to steal drag food for their village. We see them carrying back a long line of the same crates that Terra was translating for them earlier. Presumably they won't have brought back any traps this time. Unless they wanted traps. Tear can't get his crate the whole way back to the tree and collapses within sight of it. Suddenly, a trio of spears are dangling above Tear and another villager with an octopus hat. Octohat identifies the culprits as the Hollowbush Bandits, a rival tribe of presumably Ohm, but we don't actually see them here. We see another collection of Ohms absorbing another headset lesson, and when the lesson ends, Tear restarts it. A girl, impressed with Tear's mastery of the headset, suggests that he's the smartest of all the Ohms, and they begin making out. Sometime later, a birdish creature is pecking through the roof of their tree, and everyone runs around panicked. A sticky tongue lowers into the tree and squirms around collecting ohms from the tunnels. A crowd of ohms manage to catch the bird outside, and they shred its wings with their hooks and tear the creature down to the ground before chopping it up to eat. Tear literally bathes in its fountaining blood. The seasons change again, and the landscape turns slightly blue. A message has been painted on the wall around the park, that houses their tree, and Terra is asked to translate, and it reads D-Ohm, meaning the park is due for extermination. The wizard and octopus hat disagree on how to address the threat. The wizard blames the forbidden knowledge and suggests praying to the wild planet, but octopus hat says they should prepare to defend themselves. That night, Terra crosses the park to the territory of the hollow bush bandits when he is clocked in the back of the head by another ohm with a heavy club, possibly a member of that rival tribe. They crowd around his unconscious body and we dissolve to Terror being carried into their home base, which looks like a cave under something shaped like a mushroom cap. Their village elder asks why Terror has come here, and he warns them of the impending drag attack tomorrow. At first, they don't believe him and tie the boy up to toss him in a hole, but they inspect the sign for themselves. Not that they could read it, but mm-hmm. they would be like, well, there is a sign there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it does say something. Early the next morning, a white token, taller than Ohm, rolls into the hollow bush stronghold and falls on its side before off-gassing into the cave. 
we see another device firing hundreds of these tokens all over the park in every direction. It seems really inefficient. Yeah. They're just like throwing them all over the place. Yeah, I feel like you could just come in here and roll a couple of these into the specific shapes of the park and be set. When the ohms finally start waking up, we see them choking and then collapsing. Nearby drags approach with tamed ohms on leashes wearing gas masks to lead them to the stragglers of this onslaught. The village elder cuts Ter's bindings to free him in return for the genuine warning he brought them the night before. She leads him out the back door of their base and he invites them to the tree of his own people. Some of them are intercepted by poison gas, some by the tamed ohms on leashes, and some by holes dug in the dirt, but a few make it to the tree. When Ter gets inside, he finds the tree's inhabitants all dead on the ground except his mate, and together they drag the headset of forbidden knowledge back out of the park into the wilderness. They find more survivors outside the park, including Octopus Hat, and it seems like both Ohm tribes have combined their survivors into a new group. A pair of drags walk by and discuss what a nuisance the Ohms are, fun as pets but a dirty thieving species, exceedingly worthy of extermination. They notice the survivors beneath their feet and hastily plan to stomp out the new colony. Many are crushed, but Octopus Hat leads a counterattack, and they begin slicing into the feet of the drag with their weapons. Can you imagine that? It's like, first of all, if you're sadistic enough to like go outside and it's like, oh man, look at all these like mice that are out here. I'm going to squish them. But then all of a sudden the you're mice. You're completely swarmed in them. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> because cause the other friend who's just watching his friend get like devoured by the ohms is like, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm not hanging around for this. Very Gulliver's Travels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, Lilliputian, but it also reminds me of like the end of My Girl, basically, where it's like. You would think that these little things can't possibly do anything, and then if there's enough of them, and you're small well, enough compared well, to them. Well, he was allergic. What is, right. that, what is that question that people ask, like, would you rather be attacked by a, a duck-sized horse or a yeah, hundred horse-sized ducks? Yeah, a hundred horse-sized ducks is Wait, the no, worst. no, no. That's not it. It's something like that. One duck-sized horse or a hundred horse-sized ducks. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's... Definitely that's... kick that pony over the wall. <laughs> Pony punt. <laughs> Strike that. Reverse it. Yeah. yeah. It's like Night of the Lepus, but with ducks. <laughs> In the aftermath, one drag has been killed, and many own corpses are strewn about the area, including Chief Octopus Hat. The Hollow Bush Elder orders the survivors to follow her to new shelter if they are to survive what they've just accomplished together. They pass a forest of zippy oyster plants another forest of whippy tails, and a desert of pea pods on the way to a magic road. You're just inventing these names. No, these are the clinical species of... No, what? <laughs> Where would I get that? I don't know. There might be a, you know, a, a show Bible. I, am, I don't know. I am famous for making up names for things on this show. <laughs> the magic road has paths running in both directions, and the elder informs them that the road leads to a rocket dump where they will be safe. How do you know that? Have you been over there? Yeah, and if so, why did you come back? The ohms step onto the road, which acts as a conveyor belt to their destination. Back in the drag amphitheater, the drag officials are in shock at the death of one of their own at the hands of the seemingly harmless ohm and order more frequent and extreme extermination attempts. They had no idea how vastly outnumbered they were by the ohms. Drags who participated in the morning's effort report that crates were located in the tree base and sorted by their contents without having been opened suggesting the ohms can read their language. But if you think our government is slow to take action, mm -hmm. these yeah. drags. <laughs> Dragging their feet. Oh, 
that's where that came from, actually. <laughs> they step up the gassing schedule at the park and ban the unmonitored breeding of domesticated ohms since so many have escaped over the years. Master Sin tells them that it's wrong to label the species vicious animals since they were clearly acting in their own self-defense. He worries that they're taking these decisions too far. We see a lizard with no arms hatch from an egg and a creature that looks sort of like it sits beside it and licks it a few times before swallowing it whole. <laughs> I can't tell if there's, maybe they are the same species, but this is not the mama. Well, maybe it's like like those fish that like uh, suck in their babies into their mouth to oh. protect them from a also, cannibal fish, you mean? There's also plenty of species that eat their young if the young are not separated from their parents. <laughs> yeah, that's true. My mom tried it. I want oh, my what? baby back, baby back, baby back. <laughs> Dripping with sauce. <laughs> Wider, we see this is just outside the rocket dump, and the Ohms have built a new city here with the intent to build a rocket from these parts to take their people to the wild planet in the sky. With science gleamed from the headset, they're able to build all sorts of technology, including a device to shrink full-size rocket materials down to their size. Soon, a rocket test is underway, and Terra suggests that the drags might interrupt this last chance of escape with another attempted extermination. A small drone ship lands outside the dump, and smaller ships are released into it that blast large white circles into the junkyard, staining a lot of the technology they were relying on to escape. But the ohms are able to hide behind surfaces for the entire sweep and evade detection. The ships return to the drone and are flown back to the drags. The first rocket test is underway. The Hollowbush Elder tells Terra's mate that she cannot come on the journey, that, that she herself cannot come on the journey, not that the mate can't come on the journey, but urges her to make a good future for their people on the wild planet. The old woman dies, and suddenly, outside, a spotlight seems to be sweeping along a row of ohms and killing them on contact. Where did this come from? I thought mm -hmm. they just left, and now they're all getting killed again? A hovercraft vacuum slides by and scoops up another handful of ohms. I, li I like the, just the giant ball the that rolls. Yeah. rolling over them. <laughs> <laughs> like critters. Yeah. Critters, too. Two rockets are launched into the sky as more vacuum tubes and massive metal spheres slide through town, sucking up and crushing all the ohms left behind. How many ohms do you think you could fit on this rocket? Because there's like a minimum viable population in mm -hmm. order to repopulate, right? Yeah, these seem pretty small, these tubes, actually. <laughs> the rockets land somewhat safely on the wild planet, right beside the headless marble statues of a whole crowd of drags. The ohms inspect them closely, but then run away, when red and blue bubbles from meditating drags float near and land on the necks of the headless statues. It turns out the red bubbles come from Yagam and the blue ones come from another planet. And the meditation technology is a way to interact physically with otherworldly races. I feel like these uh, these headless statues are very uh, return to us. <laughs> mm. Oh, sure, yeah. Mombi. Because the they're, all, they're all in like... Um, they're dancing. all in these like yeah, yeah. these like dancing like poses and, yeah. and then they get heads back. The bubble-headed statues suddenly move fluidly as if made of flesh and dance together. It's a mating ritual, and the ohms watch from the shadow of their ship. They prepare to launch the rockets again to avoid the marble stomping of the dances, but learn quickly that a well-placed laser blast will shatter the statues to bits. As they knock them down, Drags on Yagam are broken from their meditative trances, and even some of the machines killing the ohms at the rocket dump are deactivated by this. The decapitated bubbles are sent fluttering back into space, and back on Yagam, the people they were connected to wander blinded back to the amphitheater. The scientists prepare to declare war on the ohms. Master Sin overtakes the broadcast 
and suggests a peace between the races and between the planets. So my understanding is that this is some sort of meditative breeding? Yes, I think so. Because they, they talk at some point about the the exchange of, of, I don't know, not DNA, but whatever they have yeah, in they're, order they're, to... Something is being communicated by these... Uh, meditative dalliances right so in or so by destroying that they've essentially doomed them to not be able to reproduce right but they solve that right here right because masterson says we're not going to be able to kill these things because they can like build rockets they can do whatever they yeah, have to yeah, do to yeah, keep yeah. living so, so here's what we'll do <laughs> yeah let's be friendly and the resulting piece leads to a sharing of technology and ideas that allows the ohms to create a second artificial satellite to serve the purposes of the wild planet where drag bubbles could go to dance with alien bubbles. So the ohms take over the first organic wild planet. Right. And you go over there and have your sexy yeah. time. They make mm-hmm. a second, <laughs> or I guess a third planet yeah. for yeah, yeah. Their, the, the headless statues. A fantastic one. A fantastic one. We fade to black for the credits. So that's Fantastic Planet. I do feel like the ending is a bit rushed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the art is obviously gorgeous. I love the creature design for everything. Yes. There's not much of a story here because, I mean, there's obviously a terrible conflict in this extermination that's going on. Right. But because it's all kind of sorted out in a very friendly way without much hassle, then it seems well, like. Well, but I think, I, I mean, I think it's really a poignant message, though, about, you know, trying to put yourself in. Sure. In the position of these other creatures that we interact with on a daily basis and, and you know, how we potentially downgrade their intelligence right. and treat them in unusual ways or uh, harsh ways killing them which is interesting because i mean here on earth obviously even today there are people who do this kind of dehumanization to people who are the same species as them yeah and so to see it happen between two intelligent species that are sharing a planet together just because they are so vastly different in their physical which, appearance. Which actually may even be closer to the point because the, the dregs actually look as human as the human ohms do. That's true, yeah. You know, I they, mean, they could be different breeds of the same species Yeah, I mean, they're just time. different sizes, really, and, you know, s- semi-different features in, in the hair and, I guess, how they procreate. But, you know, the, they have a lot of features in common. Yeah. It, it's very different from a Planet of the Apes situation where humans are more primitive yeah, and, uh, humans are are primitive here just out of necessity because they don't have stuff, but they have the ability to rationalize and to organize and to yeah and to plan. Where the humans in the Planet of the Apes like are just like gatherers, you know. Right. Uh, so I think it's 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 strange that the drag to me that the drags are just like, oh no, they're they're stupid animals. Like he's like, well, it's like, aren't you an advanced civilization? Could, yeah. Don't you have some kind of a test to see how stupid yeah. they are? But I guess they don't even just they just don't care. Like it's, they're, yeah. they're that advanced is like, eh, eh. But if dolphins were bipedal and they could pick up our language just from talking to us for an afternoon, mm-hmm. I feel like there would be no question as to their intelligence. <laughs> like you'd just be like, oh yeah, no, I get it. Joe, love, Poe. <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't gotten to that one oh, yet. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> No, it is this, but the movie was great. I yeah. think it's visually stunning. Um, I think it's an engaging narrative, even if it's not a lot happening. Sure. It's still entertaining to watch. Um, I I have no issues with it. Uh, the only issue that I have, and it's normally not an, even an issue, is I would have liked some closure with Tiwa. 
yeah because um, she feel- kind of like she goes meditating one day and then she comes back and her creature's gone and that's the end yeah i was like i, I would have liked like some because she seemed genuinely like she doesn't want to turn on the magnet yeah it's yeah. like no it'll it'll hurt him like she's yeah. she actually genuinely cares i mean as much as like that she put her put him put tear through like a lot of like crap but that's that's kids, little kids with animals yeah. unsupervised. Like they they're they're cruel because they don't know that they're being. But but maybe super that cruel. that could have fallen into the ten minutes of um, missing missing footage of you know that that there was in fact a drag to to bridge the gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than Master Sin, which it it kind of comes out of nowhere that he's like the representative of this entire other race that they're sharing the planet with. Well, he he's he, throughout the movie. He, he kind of speaks out against like, uh, we shouldn't just exterminate him. Yeah. But he also seems kind of mean to the one that's in his home. Yeah. Um, but we also, because we cut away from the mother and daughter arguing about the bracelet at the end, get the impression that mom said, turn the bracelet to full power. And the girl said no. And then we cut to where, Terror is, and mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that mom took the bracelet away and turned yeah, it up yeah, to yeah. full power. Yeah, but why? Like, because they because those head pieces are expensive. <laughs> I, I think that's literally it. Well, it's like you lost your textbook. Your also, fucking gerbil oh, took your, your textbook. Your father is a <laughs> member of government. You can't go missing your pet home. Yeah, but it's like these are just you know it's dumb expensive school supplies. It's mm-hmm. like they're gonna change the headset next semester. We'll have to get a whole new one. I'm not buying you another $200 headset. <laughs> Turn on the magnet. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. liked it. Yeah, big uh, thumbs up for this one. Yeah, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, for for sure. sure, thumbs up. Our writer-director here was Rene Leloup. He also wrote and directed The Masters of Time and Gandahar. Another writer, Stefan Wool, that was the, uh, the pseudonym, wrote novels adapted into both this and The Masters of Time. Uh, the writer of the adaptation, Roland Topor, uh, previously co-wrote Roman Polanski's The Tenant, and appeared in 1979's Nosferatu the Vampire as Renfield. So he wrote and illustrated this, was the art director on this film, and played Renfield opposite, uh, what's his name from Schizoid? uh, Klaus Kinski. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I was trying to go to his daughter's name first. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason I kept thinking of, well, because of Fitzgeraldo, I kept thinking of Werner Herzog, and I was like, I can't get another German name right now. The cinematographer here was Boris Baramekin, he also edited Jan Svenkmeyer's Jabberwocky short. Mm. The editor here was Rich Harrison for the English version. He has editorial credits on Darkwing Duck, Dark Tales, Bonkers, Goof Troop, Tailspin, and the OG TMNT show. Yves Barsock did the voice of Ohm in the French version. He was Robert in The Toy. He's DuPont in 39 episodes of the early 90s Adventures of Tintin. Gerard Hernandez did the voice of Master Taj. He's the voice of Atmospherics in the 2018 Asterix movie. Okay, hold on. I, I have to stop you here. Did you guys watch this in English? No. No. Oh, okay. I'm just going through the uh, the French voices, and then I'm going to go through the American voices at the end. Okay. There are American want. voices? Yeah. Oh, there's a dub. Yeah, the Criterion uh, has uh, an American dub of it. Oh, I was- But I wanted I, to watch the original, because I think they're actually two different edits. Now, is, the, is I assume the original is in French because it was for Cannes, yes. or- it, Well, it was it was a, a French well, uh, but it was, Czechoslovakian co-production. But, it's, but it, there wasn't a Czech version where it was in Czech. No, that was just where it was being animated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not even for the whole thing, but I think for most of it. Philippe Ogaus did additional voices. He's the voice of Ken in Fist of the North Star. Denis Boulier 
does additional voices. He's the third voice of Chief Quimby on the Inspector Gadget series, and he voices nearly headless Nick in the Half-Blood Prince video game. He also voiced Baloo for 53 episodes of a 2010 to 2019 Jungle Book series. Andre Lambert did additional voices. His only other acting credits are two appearances as Squirrel in Class of Nukem High Parts 2 and 3. Mark Lesser, not to be confused with Mark Lester, did the voice of Timon in Kingdom Hearts 2 and several additional crew credits on Pixar films. The rest of these credits are, I believe, for the American version of the film, but we watched the original French one. Cynthia Adler does the voice of Tiwa. We saw her last as Rocky in George Romero's Knight Riders. She does have an assortment of other voice work credits, but doesn't appear to be related to Charlie Adler, according to my cursory research. Barry Bostwick is the voice of Adult Tear. He's Brad Majors from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and next season we'll see him as Ace Hunter in Megaforce. Who's Barry Bostwick? <laughs> you remember that commercial? I do. No. <laughs> I'm Barry Bostwick. Who's Barry Bostwick? Mark Gruner played Young Tear. We saw him last as Mike in Jaws 2. Marvin Miller is the Great Tree Chief and Master Cone. He has lots of credits from the early 40s through the mid 80s, my favorite being the voice of Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet. So he gets to be a voice in Forbidden Planet and Fantastic Planet. Monica Ramirez has additional voice credits. We saw her last in our Minnesota review of Seed of Innocence. Hal Smith voiced Master Sin, Old Ohm, and Sorcerer. He's Owl in The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and various TV series follow-ups. He's Otis on The Andy Griffith Show. And he's also the voice of Flintheart Glomgold, Gyro Gearloose, and Dr. Glockenspiel yeah. on DuckTales. He's also the voice of Jacob Marley's Ghost and Goofy in Mickey's Christmas Carol. Janet Waldo played Hollow Log Chief and Drag Child. She's also the voice of Judy Jetson, Penelope Pitstop, Josie of the Pussycats, and the early 70s incarnation of Morticia Adams. Her husband, Robert E. Lee, not that Robert E. Lee, wrote Inherit the Wind and so far on the show first Monday in October. I think that's everything we have for Fantastic Planet. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we'll be discussing Lady Snowblood, which IMDb describes like so. A strikingly beautiful young woman is trained from birth to be a deadly instrument of revenge against the swindlers who destroyed her family. Swindlers? <laughs> understating it a bit, I think. We leave you now with the trailer for Lady Snowblood. ミロ、死んでいた朝に弔いの雪が降る